How do you systematize confusion? How do you explain the lengths that man will go to to escape the authority of God? How do you explain these insane acts of defiance against the Creator God? Nimrod what were you thinking? Did you really think that would work? What is it you were building? Where were you trying to take everybody? What is this road you took them down? thought that would work, didn't you? In the mountains of Tibet, there supposedly is a city. The city is named Shambhala. And many people have braved the elements to explore this vast wilderness, this unforgiving wasteland of mountains and snow. They try to find this mythical city. The problem is, is that they'll never find it because it does not exist in the physical realm. It only exists in the spiritual realm. So the only real way a person can actually visit Shambhala is through a spiritual connection. Within Tibetan Buddhism, there exists a tradition called Kalishakra Tantra. Those who practice Kalishakra Tantra believe that there are three levels of this religion. There's the outward Kalishakra Tantra, inward Kalishakra Tantra, and once you master those two, you can enter into something called real Kalishakra Tantra. They believe that all of the world's problems, whether it be economic or war or anything, really, are a result of man having lost his spiritual connection to the city of Shambhala. And so their goal as a religion is to help everyone in the world reestablish their spiritual connection to this city. Within the Kalishakra Tantra faith, there is a prophecy, and they believe that in that city of Shambhala lies a great leader. They call him a Maitreya, and that sometime in the future, the world will descend into poverty and greed and war. This Maitreya will suddenly emerge. He will lead the world into a golden age. 
Now we know that everything that God has promised us, there is a satanic counterfeit for it. And we know that Jesus is of course coming again. And so Satan has a counterfeit savior coming. Some have called him the Maitreya. Some have called him the Kalki. Some have called him an avatar of Vishnu. And we have called him in this series, the third Adam, but he's coming to lead the world into a supposed golden age. He is now working to try to set up his kingdom on this earth. And so what is the road to Shambhala? What do we mean when we say that? It's very simple. The road to Shambhala is Satan's master plan to usher in his world kingdom by means of initiating all people into the occult. The means by which this initiation will take place will vary greatly, but the process and premise remains the same. You can become a higher and greater version of yourself by aligning yourself with a higher power and or energy force. Once this is awakened in you, you will discover a previously unknown level of ability and potential. Nothing will be impossible anymore. And so there are people all across the world that are working to try to initiate you into this religion. And once they have enough people, they believe that this savior will come. And when this savior figure does come, he will be able to usher in a world kingdom. And the Bible even says that he will be able to do signs and lying wonders and all the world will wonder after him. Alice Bailey was a famous occultist and she was actually one of the disciples of Helena Blavatsky. She was quoted once as saying this, the working of pouring out the principle of love, which is the Christ principle, and of lifting the masses in their consciousness to the pitch where they can understand and welcome that love principle is the main work of the new age. And it will inaugurate the age of brotherhood and mold humanity into the likeness of the Christ that the Oriental peoples may call this great official by another name than that of the Christ has no bearing on reality and alters not the fact of his influence and his esoteric coming. There is a savior figure that is coming and he will unite the world and invite them all to come with him down a road. And that road is the road to Shambhala. Throughout history, there's always been a group of people who have sought to understand and use a spirit force for their own agenda. And they think if they could just harness this spirit force, then they can become powerful and even maybe even conquer the world. It's very common. There was a group that attempted this in the 1930s in Europe. They were all German. And they started a secret society called the Thule Society. And within that secret society, there was a group of people that they commissioned to go around the world trying to grab talismans. And these talismans were all kinds of things. And if you look at the old movie, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, you will see that he's in a race with these Germans to try to find these talismans before they do. But why did they put that in the movie? Because that's what they were doing. They were seeking a power and the name of the society within the Thule Society was called the Vril Society. But they sought a power 
and they called it Vril. And we have used that symbol for Vril as the power that we're going to talk about in this movie. You will find that all throughout history, this Vril energy, this spirit energy, is being used by politicians, it's being used by religious people mainly, but today, this Vril energy, this spirit power, is being used by Christians, and it's being used by churches. Vril energy, Vril power. And this spirit power, when a person harnesses it, when a person embraces it, it changes their life, makes them a different person. In a sense, it gives them a counterfeit born-again experience. And I remember when I was a kid watching like 1980s cartoons, there was a show called He-Man, and there was a guy named Adam. Does that sound familiar? And he got filled with this power, this spirit energy, and it changed him. It made him a super man, made him a strong man, and it turned him into something that he wasn't before. And so just in the same sense, there are people who are going into churches, being infused and being indwelt, maybe, with this vril energy. And some people are even using this vril energy and harnessing it like a sorcerer of sorts. And this is the great scandal of the modern church. Nobody cares about discernment anymore. Nobody wants to try the spirits, whether they be of God. This might be the most important film you've ever seen. But this is not new. This is very real. This is very serious. Vril energy. There is a spirit power moving throughout churches. The Germans called it the Vril. The Hindus call it Chi and Prano. But they call it the Holy Spirit. Oh my. One of the most famous occultists of all time was a man named Albert Pike, and he wrote a book called Morals and Dogmas, and in that book he said this, he said, there is in nature one most potent force, by means whereof a single man who could possess himself of it and should know how to direct it could revolutionize and change the face of the world. This force was known to the ancients. It is a universal agent whose supreme law is equilibrium, and whereby if science can but learn how to control it, it will be possible to change the order of the seasons, to produce in night the phenomenon of day, to send a thought in an instant around the world, to heal or slay at a distance, to give our words universal success and make them reverberate everywhere. But I want to read the very next paragraph, and I want you to understand that this is where it kind of crosses over into the church territory. He says this, This agent, partially revealed by the blind guesses of the disciples of Mesmer, is precisely what the adepts of the Middle Ages called the elementary matter of the great work. The Gnostics held that it composed the igneous body of the Holy Spirit, and it was adored in the secret rites of the Sabbath 
or the temple, under the hieroglyphic figure of Baphomet or the hermaphroditic goat of Mendez. So I want you to know that Albert Pike said that the Gnostics would refer to this esoteric power, this energy force. They called it the Holy Spirit. And the thing is, is that history is always repeating itself. There are people out there who are in churches who are calling themselves pastors. Their congregations are calling themselves Christians, but they are Gnostic. They are practitioners of mystery religion, and they are working with an energy force in their congregations, amongst their people, in their prayer groups, in their revivals, and in their church services. This spirit power is moving among them, and they are calling this the Holy Spirit. But it is a dark, esoteric, ether energy that is from hell. These people are not saved. These people are not Christians. And if God will help me, I will show you who they are. And I will point you to the truth that some of these people are literally worshiping Satan. They are literally summoning occult energy and calling it Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And that's an incredible thing to say, but I'm going to try to prove it to you. Now, before we get started in this documentary, I have to cover some ground. And what I want to do is I want to give you six tools that you're going to need to discern the information going forward. These are very simplified, basic concepts that I think if you'll get this, then the rest of this documentary will make perfect sense. And so please allow me a few minutes to explain each one of these symbols to you. The symbols are the three realms, imaginations, frequency, alignment, Gnostic theology, and the concept of Gnosis. Let's take a few moments and break down each one of these symbols so that you can have the proper understanding going forward. Now let's talk about the three realms for a few minutes. Basically, I've drawn three circles here to help you understand this concept. And let's take a moment and explain to you what these realms are. The very first realm is something that we will call the physical realm. The physical realm basically are things that you can see and touch and sense. I think we all understand that there, there's, there's rocks, there's trees, there's the camera, there's my shirt, there's this marker. These are physical things that are tangible that we can see, we can sense, and we can use. So what is the next realm? The next realm is pretty simple. This is something that I would call the sub-physical realm. Now, this is where it gets a little bit more complicated. There are things that you cannot see with your naked eye, but they do exist. Like, for example, if you were to take like a, a vial of blood, you can't necessarily see the red blood cells in that blood. But if you had like a microscope, you could see the red blood cells in blood. Another thing is like germs and other things, atoms and particles. These things exist in the subphysical. I want you to notice that as technology advances through time, the, we are able to use physical things to have a greater control on the subphysical world. But I want you to know there is a wall between the second and third realm. And let me just draw this right here for you guys. 
And this is where technology is kind of bumped up against this wall. It cannot go into the third realm yet. Well, what is the third realm? The third realm is the metaphysical realm. Of course, the physical realm are things that we can see. These are things that we can see with certain tools. But the metaphysical realm is a realm that we cannot see because it is a spiritual realm. It is something that cannot be seen with your eyes. It is something that technology cannot control. Now, the word wickedness is found throughout all the Bible, and it always has to do with a spiritual wickedness. But I want you to know, as technology advances, that they're going to have to make the leap one day from the subphysical into the metaphysical. And I think we're seeing people trying to break into the third realm today. CERN, the European Organization for Nuclear Research, is once again making headlines for their recent discoveries that could potentially change everything we know about the universe. Ultimately, what they're doing is something called quantum physics, which is a metaphysical concept. They are actually trying to break into the third realm under the illusion and under the guise of advancing technology. I want to give you a Bible story. There was a time in the life of Moses where he took a staff and he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. Now, we understand that was a miracle done by the Lord. That was not Moses doing a cheap parlor trick or even a magic trick on anybody. That's It was a miracle. But there were two Egyptian sorcerers standing on the side and the Bible says in the New Testament, their names were Janus and Jambres. And they took their staffs and threw them on the ground, and they made their staffs become serpents too. Why were the Egyptians able to do this? The reason is, is because these people were metaphysical practitioners. This is where all your magic, this is where all your witchcraft, all this stuff comes from the metaphysical world. Everything visible and physical is preceded by that which is invisible and spiritual. I want you to know that there was a guy years ago named Rudolf Steiner. And Rudolf Steiner was a man who really tried to merge things like science and spirituality together, and he ended up calling it spiritual science. Your ancestors called it magic, and you call it science. Well, I come from a place where they're one and the same thing. What people do today is they try to take the physical and control the subphysical. They try to use elements to make medicine to control the germs in your body. I drew these arrows here because much of what's going on today is using the physical to control the subphysical. Why were the Egyptian sorcerers able to do those things? It's because they thought completely different than we did. These people did not use the physical to control the subphysical. These people actually used the metaphysical world to control the subphysical world. Instead of going like this, they actually did that. The usage of metaphysical concepts to control the physical world is magic. So if something needs to be changed or corrected in the visible physical realm, we must identify its invisible spiritual cause. Follow back this branch of data that some people say started in Sumeria or Egypt. You're connecting with the divine intelligence. You're hoping from your connection with the divine intelligence to produce some change in your own psychology, in your own life. If all you see is what you see. You do not see all there is to be seen. That's what the Egyptian sorcerers did. That's what ancient civilizations did. This 
is the three realms. All right, so let's talk about imaginations for just a little bit. What is an imagination? An imagination is something that exists outside the plane of reality. Now, I think it's very vital that everybody understands that in the book of Genesis, chapter number 11, there was a tower. And that tower was the Tower of Babel, is what the Bible calls it. But please do not believe for one second that that tower was something like a tower we see today where it's like a, a skyscraper type building with windows and whatever. That's not a tower at all. The Tower of Babel was a pyramid. I believe, according to the Old Testament, that Nimrod was the man who led the world in building this Tower of Babel. Well, what was he trying to do? I personally think he was trying to break into the third realm. I think he was trying to use the tower to go outside the realm of existence. Let me try to explain the concept to you this way. Here inside this circle, you have creation. Let's just call it the, the physical world. Well, what exists outside of that circle? I'm going to put it to you this way. The metaphysical world, or let me use this word, imaginations. Much of the esoteric concepts are teaching you how to step outside the plane of reality. You see things like astral projection or even calling upon forces outside of this realm to come within the realm to help you. And really the goal of all this is so that you can eventually become your own God. The key word that I want everybody to understand in this concept is the word imaginations, which is a Bible word. You see, in the book of Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The word imagination, of course, means something that exists outside the plane of reality. The people of the Old Testament were trying to practice metaphysical concepts. The Bible even says in Genesis chapter 11, verse 6, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, they all have one language. And this they began to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Now, you have to understand, at the Tower of Babel, they were building this pyramid. Nimrod was in charge. And they were getting ready to accomplish something. And maybe they were trying to replicate something that happened before the flood. We see here that the Lord saw them getting ready to do this. And he stepped down. And he confounded the languages and put a complete stop to this thing. Why would the Lord do something so drastic? Well, it's because they were getting ready to step into the metaphysical world. We have the power to do anything humanly possible. If we can imagine it, we can create it and bring it into our physical realm. Notice the language of the Bible, verse number six. It says, and now nothing will be restrained from them. There is a power in magic. There is a power in sorcery that is absolutely undeniable. Even the Lord himself acknowledged the power of this stuff. 
And out of sheer mercy for the human race, he prevented them from embracing it once more. And there are other mentions of this word in the book of Proverbs chapter 6, verse 18. The Bible says, a heart that devises wicked imaginations. Is that not what we're seeing today, people doing that? Especially when it comes to entertainment and media. All you see everywhere, especially in children's media, are witchcraft and sorcery and metaphysics everywhere. It's it's almost unbearable to even watch anymore. I'm a father and I'm alarmed at how much metaphysics and how much powers and sorcery and witchcraft is in the average children's programming today. The Bible also says in Romans chapter number one, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. And even in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible tells the church of Corinth that we're supposed to be casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We're not supposed to be involved with things that are metaphysical in origin. And Psalm 2.1 says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The next subject I want to talk to you about is frequency. In hermeticism and other areas, basically all your witchcraft, all your sorcery, Eastern mysticism as well, everything is a frequency. Everything is a vibration. And if you come to understand that, then you really will come to understand all of what magic is. And I didn't understand this for a very long time, but I think I finally got it. They believe that everything operates on a frequency, whether it be health, or wealth, or fitness, or sadness, anything. If you were to attach it to a machine, you could actually read a frequency or a vibration. And the goal of the occult is to basically control the frequencies of your body and really ultimately raise the frequency of your body. They believe that if your body is at a low frequency, you're unhealthy. And if you bring it up, it'll be healthier. They believe that if you're sad, it's a low frequency. You bring it up, you'll be happy. If you are not wealthy, that means that you're operating at a low frequency. You bring it to a high frequency, you'll be wealthy. You'll be rich. And so to them, everything is a frequency. Everything is a vibration. What's a frequency can at the we surrender to the rhythms of grace. And you're down enough and you lose your sound. He takes away your power. But I came to open my mouth and let the enemy know I'm going to release a sound into the atmosphere. Because when the sound comes up, so does the power come up. Little book of magic till big book of magic. It's seven, 276 pages of angelic wisdom, of high vibrational light streaming through the pages. And ultimately, the ones who get good at it, they are able to raise and lower their frequency at will. And if you can do that, man, there's, there's no telling what you can do. And really, I want you to know that they believe that the highest frequency is love and the lowest frequency is hate, which has strong connections to the divine feminine. The next one is alignment. Now, this one has similar parallels to frequency, but it is somewhat a different concept. You see, they believe that everything that you would want in life is a frequency. It is a vibration. And so what you have to do is you have to align your physicality 
to this concept. And if you align them together on a vibrational level, then these things will come to you and you will attract these things. For example, if you want to be wealthy, and let's just say the wealth frequency looks something crazy and chaotic like that, and you want that, but your body frequency is something much different, I mean, just, just something way off than that, then you have to change your frequency and your aura, really, and you have to align yourself to match that to some degree. And if you will match that, then this ultimately will come to you and you will attract it. It's like the law of attraction, which is the exact same thing. If you are seeing negative things produced in your life, it's because that's the way that you have thought in your life in your heart. You at your core are not thinking something right because if you think according to God and dwell in Him, you will experience the victory and the power. If you are reaping sickness, it's because you've thought sickness. And you have to align your inner self with these outer things. And that's when all that comes to you. Now there's a famous phrase that kind of captures this that I want you to see. As above, so below. Now, everybody understands that if you've studied any of occultism. As above, so below. You see that with the Baphomet, he's pointing up and he's pointing down. As above, so below. But the next statement is this. As within, so without. This is all one statement, and a lot of people only pay attention to the first half of it. But as within, so without. Basically, they're saying if you align yourself inside of you with something, then it will be that way on the outside. Like if you align your inner self with health, then on the outside, health will just happen. Wealth, wealth will just happen. Happiness, happiness will just happen. As within, so without. As above, so below. This is the occult. This is new age. This is esoteric. This is magic. This is the occult. This is what they teach. And you'll find that a lot of people teach this who claim to be Christians. What did Jesus do in this situation? It says he rebuked the wind and the waves and he spoke or released peace over the storm and the chaos outside of him had to submit to the peace that was inside of him. So his internal reality became his external reality. The world that was in him, remember Jesus taught this, the kingdom is within you. All kingdom issues are heart issues. And when heart issues are dealt with, the world around you has to yield itself to your personal internal victory. The world around you, when you know what you're doing, when you know how to utilize the tools that God gives you, the world around you starts to take the shape of the world that is in you. Now, the next segment I want to talk to you about is Gnostic theology. Basically, up here, you have in the universe, you have the Abraxas, who is the god of all gods. And then you have, he has created some aeons. You have Sophia, you have Christ, and then you have Lucifer. Sophia accidentally created a, a god, and that god created the world. Well, this god was basically the god of the Old Testament, and they called him the Demiurge. And he had created Adam and Eve and locked them in this prison. Well, the Abraxas saw that the Demiurge had locked them in there, and he sent Lucifer to give them the knowledge of the tree of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, and that was enough to, to release them from the garden, but it was not enough to release them from creation. And so basically later on, the Abraxas again sent Christ down to teach mankind, not as a savior, but as a spiritual teacher, to teach them how to harness this inner divine spark within them. You see, Gnosticism teaches ultimately that you have a spark within you. 
That's what it teaches. And if you just fan the flames of that spark, then you can transcend and, and go beyond the spiritual limitations that the demiurge has put on you, and you can go and rise and become your higher self, and then you can actually transcend and go be with the Sophia, or you can even go up to the, the what was called the Pleroma, which is the Gnostic heaven, and that's what Gnostic theology is. And I want you to get a good understanding of that going forward because they believe that creation is ultimately bad, and you've been locked inside it by a tyrant, which is, in their mind, the God of the Old Testament. And so that's what Gnostic theology is. And lastly, I want you to understand what Gnosis is. I want you to imagine that uh, you have a person here who is stuck in creation, okay? And let's just say this is the bubble that they live in. And up here you have what we would call the spirit world. And so what you want to do is you want the spirit world to come down. And what happens is, is when the spirit world comes down and overlaps, if you will, with the physical world, you have something called gnosis that takes place. of God in heaven so that order can replace chaos. And right in this circle here is where all spiritual knowledge is gained. That's where enlightenment is gained. That's where you're able to transcend. That's where you're able to raise your consciousness. That's where all of this stuff takes place that is good and right in the minds of the esoterist. That right there is Gnosis. And so I want everybody to understand that, that everything these people are doing, they're looking for a spiritual experience. And these are the tools that you're going to need going forward to understand this documentary. lockdowns, there was a man named Sean Foich who rose to prominence as a worship leader. He would go into towns that were having these riots and would start singing and having church services out in the public square. I started to research him and I found out that he was associated with Bethel Church, which to me meant that he was part of the New Apostolic Reformation. I kept my eye on him for some time and I noticed that he started to suddenly post all these pictures of him with the number 222 and it wasn't just one it was several posts that he made about 222 222 several people had questioned him about it and he even claimed that God always spoke to him through numbers and signs which him being associated with Bethel Church didn't surprise me in the least they're new agers they're not Christians 
Then I realized as I looked into this that this is how this all works. Twos. Some would call it a duality. But that's how all of this works. There are twos. And it seems like all of this deception that we speak about is divided into twos. And so that's how we will divide this film into twos. There will be two spirits. There will be two spiritualities. And there will be two gospels. And we will take the time in this film to explore these twos. Because that's how it all works. Two, two, two. Now, as Christians, you and I both know that there's more than one spirit working in the world. Of course, we believe in the Holy Spirit of God. We understand from the Bible what he does and what his working is. But he's not the only spirit working. And I had to do some digging into the Word of God to see what other spirits there were. And I found out that the Bible had a lot to say about this subject. 1 Samuel 28, 7 says, Then Saul said unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit that I may go to her and inquire of her. And a servant said unto him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. We see that this is not the Holy Spirit of God, but a familiar spirit. We also see in 2 Chronicles 33, 6, the rule of King Manasseh in Israel. And the Bible says in verse 6, and he calls his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. We also see in the book of Daniel chapter 11 that he's speaking about a prophetic incident, a coming king. And he says, but in his estate shall he honor the God of forces and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. The God of forces is very interesting right there. We also see in Zechariah chapter number 13 and verse number two, and it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. We also see many times in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, him dealing with spirits. The Bible says in Mark 1.26, And with the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, He came out of him. So you see that there's people who are indwelt with the unclean spirit. We even see in the ministry of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter number 16 and verse number 16, the Bible says, And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. 
We find later that the Apostle Paul warned the church at Corinth to beware this other spirit that is at work in the world today. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11, 4, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, and he says this, Or if you receive another spirit. Claim my right to energetic sovereignty as a divine being fully aware of the divinity within me and all around me. You are a forerunner of a new type of Christian, a new type of believer. Amen. The biblical evidence is overwhelming that there's more than one spirit working in the world today. And the trick for Christians that I don't think a lot of people are really good at is discerning which one is which. But suffice it to say at this point, do not be deceived. There is another spirit. There is a wicked spirit, a foul spirit, a familiar spirit that's alive and working in the world today. And even the Bible acknowledges this spirit entity. And the Bible even warns you to be careful. So allow me to explain it to you this way. There are two spirits in the world today. There's the Holy Spirit of God, which we all who are born again are indwelt with this Holy Spirit. And then also there's a false spirit that the Bible acknowledges many, many times. I want to compare and contrast the aspects of these two different spirits. And I want to compare the two to give you guys some clarity about the differences between them. Number one, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is a personal spirit. The Holy Spirit is actively working in the lives of Christians every day. So it is a personal spirit. The second thing I want you to know about the Holy Spirit is, is that He is deity. He is co-equal, co-existent, and eternally existent with God the Father and God the Son. God the Holy Spirit is who he is. As God the Father is God, as Jesus Christ is God, so the Holy Spirit is God as well. And with that deity comes a third point I want you to see. Is that he is sovereign. Nobody controls him. He does what he wants and he moves as he chooses. The Bible uses the term there. Jesus Christ speaking about the Holy Spirit says, The wind bloweth where it listeth. You can no more control the Holy Spirit of God than you can control the wind or a hurricane or a storm. You can't do it because you simply cannot control the Holy Spirit. He is sovereign. Next, I want you to see that the Holy Spirit of God is that He will lead you into all theological truth. The Holy Spirit will not lead you to believe anything that is contrary to the Bible. He will not lead you to believe anything that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the Scriptures. He leads you into truth. Next, I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit of God will empower you to do God's will. He will not empower you to do your will, but He will empower you to do God's will. Anything that God has asked of man to do, man needs the Holy Spirit's power and equipping to accomplish that goal. And so the Holy Spirit will empower you to do the will of God for your life. The next thing that the Holy Spirit of God will do is, is that He will separate you from this world system. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. It even talks about, therefore they speak there of the world. Whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. The Holy Spirit of God 
will pull you towards Christ. And in order to take a step towards Christ, you have to take a step away from this world system. And the Holy Spirit has always done that and always will do that according to the Holy Bible. And lastly, I want you to see that the Holy Spirit of God does this. Is that the Holy Spirit of God will always, always glorify Jesus Christ. Really, the Holy Spirit will not even glorify the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will always point you to Jesus and bring glory and honor to Him. And that's exactly what He will do according to the Word of God. Now, with that being said, we've outlined pretty clearly the character of the Holy Spirit of the Bible. Well, what is the character of this false spirit? Well, we did a lot of digging and comparing and contrasting uh, different views of this spirit according to other religions of the world. We have found astoundingly that the spirits that are working in like Hinduism and Buddhism and witchcraft and the occult and things of that nature, it's like that this false spirit does the total opposite of what the Holy Spirit does. And really, it has been a wild study in seeing all this. And I want to take a moment and break it all down for you, because this will teach you what we are dealing with today in the spirit world with this false spirit that's alive today. The first thing about this false spirit, he's not personal. He's actually, he's actually an impersonal force. If you think about it for a moment, it's almost like the force of Star Wars. There is a power that you can have. And it just depends on your heart condition. You can use it for good or evil, but the, the force doesn't care. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us, penetrates us, it binds the galaxy together. It just exists, and it really doesn't have a personality and doesn't really have an opinion on certain things. It is an, Literally, it is an impersonal force. Now, Hinduism teaches this, and martial arts teaches this, but the Holy Spirit of God is actually personal. He will speak to you, and he has a personality. He can be grieved. He can be quenched and such like. But this occultic false spirit is characterized by it simply being an impersonal force. Next is, is that, of course, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is deity. But the false Holy Spirit does this, can make you a deity. You see, when Satan enticed Eve at the Garden of Eden, what was his promise? You shall be as gods. What was his line? His line was, if you will take this, this fruit, then your eyes will be opened which is enlightenment, and then you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. There is a spirit force working in the world that promises you that if you will partake of it and receive this, then you can be bettered, you can be made a higher and greater version of yourself, and ultimately, at the end of that road, it results in you becoming your own God. You see this today in women talking about how I'm going to raise my divine feminine. Well, the word divine gives that away. You are literally trying to become your own goddess woman. And when all the self-help gurus talk about, you know, your higher and greater self, that's what this is. It's all connected to the false Holy Spirit that is working now in the children of disobedience. Now, the Holy Spirit is sovereign, but this false spirit 
can be controlled or invoked. If you ever watch people that are like casting magic spells, they are they are commanding a force, an energy force to do their bidding. Like in a Harry Potter spell, they are speaking a word and then something magic happens at the command of the sorcerer. I declare today that the blessing is upon you. It causes the favor of God to surround you as a shield. I decree and I declare that the favor of God that is on your life enables you to do what you cannot do on your own. I decree and I declare that the favor of God enables you to do supernatural things. And when we understand that if we grab the spiritual, if we grab heaven and allow that to intervene in the circumstances of earth, then we will have put things in its proper order and proper perspective. When you say, I am blessed, I have favor, angels go to work. Good breaks will find you, but nothing happens till you speak. The miracle is in your mouth. And there are many examples of this, but ultimately the Holy Spirit of God is not your servant. He's not there to serve you. He is God, but this false Holy Spirit can be invoked and it can be controlled according to what you want it to do. So when we're invoking a deity, for us, it's actually really quite simple. There's not a lot to it. And you simply ask them for it to come to you. Ask the universe to come and intervene with what's going on in my life. You give the universe permission to come in and help you. Next, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit, of course, leads you into truth, but this Spirit leads you away from truth. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, The Spirit speaketh in the latter days, as some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. Right here, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. When somebody receives this false Holy Spirit and this thing starts working in their lives, 
They start going into doctrines of devils because this spirit will lead you away from truth. And then also 1 John 4, 6 talks about the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit of God. And then there's the spirit of error, which is on this side, the false spirit. Next, I want you to see the Holy Spirit empowers you to do God's will. Well, what does this false spirit do? Well, pretty simple. It empowers you to do your own will. Alistair Crowley put it this way. He says, do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. The most satanic thing that a person can do is just do whatever you want. A lot of people think that like Halloween is the number one most satanic holiday in the world, but that's not true. The most satanic holiday in the world is your birthday because it's all about you and what you want to do and the goals that you have and the things that you want to accomplish well, there's a spirit out there who looks at you and says, hey, if you just take me, I can empower you to do your own will. I can give you riches. I can give you freedom. I can give you all the lust of your flesh. I mean, I can literally give you anything that you want. You name it and I can give it to you. Well, that's not what the Bible promises you. The Bible promises you that the Holy Spirit will empower you to do God's will. The next thing that this false spirit does is the total opposite of what the Holy Spirit does. He separates you from the world. That's what the Holy Spirit does. What does this false spirit do? Well, you see, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 talks about that we have not received the spirit of this world. And then also the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, in whom we all walked according to the course of this world, according to the spirit, right there, that worketh now in the children of disobedience. This false spirit will make you like the world, whereas the Holy Spirit of God will pull you away from this world system. You will not be able to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and want to live like Britney Spears or whatever degenerate is out there. The Holy Spirit of God won't let you. But this, this spirit will let you. It'll push you into the world and you'll be a slave to the trends and to the fashions and to the fads and to the lust of this world system if you embrace this false spirit. Now, lastly, the Holy Spirit of God, as we can see right here, glorifies Jesus Christ. But what does this false spirit do? Well, it's pretty simple. He glorifies you. He makes a big deal about you and how great you are. And how powerful you are and how wonderful you are because you're an amazing thing according to this spirit. So mystery religion is designed ultimately to glorify you and not to glorify Christ. It is a egotistical religion. It is based on how amazing you are and wonderful you are. When does creation get released from the curse? As soon as you figure out who you are. What's the point? You rock. You just don't know it. Now, one example of that is in the book of Acts, chapter number 8, with a guy named Simon the Sorcerer. And so notice what the Bible says in Acts, chapter 8, verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Do you see the link there between egotistical people, egomaniacs, and the usage of sorcery? That's a good word. You rock. And you didn't even do it to you. I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. I am amazing. <laughs> Mystery religion makes a big deal about you. And it doesn't make a big deal about Jesus Christ. It's in me. It's in me. I rock. I, rock. I, I 
am God's greatest creation. Ultimately, it is the religion of pride. There's kings in you. There's crowns in you. I was born to do greater works than Jesus. And just like in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't about God. It wasn't about what God wanted. It's about making you bigger and making you more important. There's legacy in you. There's dreams in you. There's ministry in you. I'm his inheritance, and he actually likes me. And I like me too. And if you got to know me, you would like me. Creation knows who I am. The devil knows who I am. God knows who I am. The angels, they know who I am. And today, I know who I am. And you can ultimately become your own God. Who needs God anymore? Because, you know, you can be great too, just like God. But the Holy Spirit of God doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit of God does not exalt man. The Holy Spirit of God puts man down and glorifies Jesus Christ. That is according to the words of God, the Bible itself. This is what the Holy Spirit does. But if you ever hear a man who's preaching how wonderful you are and how amazing you are and how, how just beautiful you are, what he's doing is he's glorifying you. The chances of him operating under the power of this false spirit right here are incredible. When God created you, when he saw how magnificent you are, how strong, how attractive, how talented, God looked at you and said, that was very good. The only time he used very good is when he created you. Because this false spirit, this wicked spirit, at the end of the day, glorifies you. Isn't that what Satan said to Eve in the garden? You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And that's how you tell the difference between the Holy Spirit of God and this false spirit. Okay, so here's my Twitter feed. This is was posted December 27, 2022. The Chosen is an end times deception designed to unite Mormons, Catholics, Evangelicals together into one religion, mark and avoid. I got a comment today from this individual saying, obviously, The Chosen is the best show ever. And I don't know how to say their name, but let's look at their Twitter feed here. All right. It says, I am dead to sin and alive in Christ. Nothing wrong with that. But look at their bio. It said, manifesting God's word, good vibes, and positive energy. Now, when it comes to this false spirit that's working in the world today, we have to kind of look at history and culture and see how does this manifest itself today? Well, I think there are several instances, and let me show you what they are. The first category I would give you would be Eastern mysticism. In the world of martial arts, they often use the word chi. Now, chi is believed basically to be like a vital living force inside of you. Sometimes the meaning is like air or breath. 
But essentially what it is is your vital energy or vital force. Most people generally just refer to it as a form of energy. And often in a martial arts setting, it is actually controlled to strengthen the body so that they can fight or defend themselves. Another instance of this would be the word prana. Now, prana is a word oftentimes used in yoga and Eastern medicine. Basically what it is, it is a Sanskrit word that literally translates to like life force or life energy. They believe that this energy force permeates reality on all levels, and it's really basically an energy that's in all things, including inanimate objects. Oftentimes when people are speaking about prana, they take a deep breath to breathe in their life force. And oftentimes prana is increased in the body by breathing exercises. Another word is the word Reiki. Now, I have seen many places lately that they're doing Reiki healing and Reiki medicine. And basically what that is, it's an alternative medicine from Japan that is based on energy healing. Many people consider it a pseudoscience, but really what it is, it is a form of the occult where somebody lays hands on you and puts an energy force throughout your body that heals your physical ailments or emotional ailments. So for anybody who's new to Reiki and doesn't know anything about what it is, it is a really beautiful, gentle, but very potent Japanese energy healing modality. So Reiki, as with sound, is vibrational medicine. Another word for this false spirit is kundalini. Kundalini is heavily involved with yoga, basically is a concept that's born out of Hinduism. And they teach that everybody at their birth has an energy force that lays dormant in their pelvis. And through certain exercises of yoga and breathing and spiritual conscious raising, that somehow this energy force goes up the spine like a serpent. And once it gets to the point where it goes through all seven chakras of the body, outside of the crown chakra, then you have something called the Kundalini Awakening, which basically gives this energy force full liberty to operate throughout your body unimpeded. Oftentimes, practitioners of Kundalini and yoga and Hinduism believe that most people's ailments physically are a result of this energy force being bound in their body. This energy force can be released and that can basically solve all their health problems. And there are also elements where this can heal your emotional wounds as well. And I think that's why this is so attractive to a lot of people. But another word for this false Holy Spirit is Kundalini. There's another word that is oftentimes very closely associated with Kundalini, and it is the word Shakti. Now, Shakti is actually the wife of Shiva in Hindu mythology. But it actually has to do with a cosmic energy that is female in aspect, that basically is in all things throughout the universe. And you can actually refer back to Third Adam 3, Rise of the Divine Feminine, for more information on the divine feminine aspect of this energy. Another word for this is called feng shui, which you see this in like the home remodeling and designer world. And it kind of has to do with the way that energy flows through a building or the way that, you know, you can move through a building and the way the furniture is arranged and that kind of stuff. But feng shui is actually an art that teaches you how to interact with energy forces in your house, in your body, and even in your city. The term literally means wind water. Feng Shui translates to wind water, two elements that create flow and harmony in a space. Feng Shui teaches us that positions of objects in a room matter greatly to the flow.
they represented this energy force as water. And so that's why like a lot of Asian and Japanese type buildings will have a fountain going through them or maybe even a little water stream going through them and such like. That's all born out of feng shui. And if you arrange things a certain way, then energy can flow through a building or flow through a city. And that's how you relate with this energy force is through the understanding of feng shui. Now, there's another religion called Jainism, and oftentimes it has medical implications, but basically it's the idea that the reason you're sick is because your energy forces are out of balance. And so somebody who practices this religion is somebody who's basically going to find a balance in all of these energy forces within you and thus make you healed or you know fix your ailments. That's what Jainism is. So we showed you all the Eastern mystical examples of this false spirit, this wicked spirit working in the lives of people. But let's go over to the Western world for a bit. Let's go to Europe and let's talk about alchemy for a minute. Now, alchemy was not what people think it is. A lot of people think that it was some mad scientist in a lab somewhere and he was experimenting with chemicals trying to turn iron into gold. But really what alchemy was was an occultic ritual. It was a spiritual ritual that was disguising itself as a chemical ritual. Basically what these European occultists were doing was they were trying to find a way to create an element or maybe even put it to you this way, isolate that spirit energy, that energy force away from regular elements. Now, if you believe that there's an energy force in a rock, you're going to see if you can do chemical experiments to try to isolate that spirit energy and then ultimately create vials of the spiritual energy so that you can use it for whatever purpose you desire. Basically, what they taught was that there was four basic elements in the world. There was water, fire, earth, and there was air. And if you somehow were to separate these elements from each other or somehow combine these elements together in a certain way, you could create a spiritual element called ether. Hindus actually practiced this same form of alchemy as well, and instead of calling it ether, they called it akasha. And the Sadhguru, who's a very big, prominent guru in India right now, actually speaks of the akasha in his lectures all the time. And so, if you are a Western alchemical practitioner, then you are trying to separate this element away and create something. And not only was a name for it ether or aether, another name for it was called the Philosopher's Stone.
Many people even also called it the elixir of life. And they actually believed that if you had this, you could drink it and achieve immortality. It was also called the fifth element or the prime matter or the prima materia. And another term for this elixir of life that I think a lot of people are familiar with is called the fountain of youth. And there are people for centuries who have spoken about this. A lot of the accounts that I've studied said that the early mentions of the fountain of youth were in the writings of Herodotus and the Alexander Romance, and then also in the writings of Prester John, who was actually a crusader in the 11th and 12th centuries. And during the height of the popularity of alchemy in Europe, around the 16th century or so, there was actually a Spanish man who came across the ocean looking for the fountain of youth, and his name was Juan Ponce de Leon, who came from Spain to Puerto Rico and actually traveled to Florida because he heard that this fountain of youth existed there. Now, there also are people in the world today that claim, they claim that they are practicing science, but really they're practicing the occult, and there are several examples of this. Uh, the first one is CERN in Switzerland. Now, basically what they're doing is they're trying to separate elements from each other by using a particle collider, and they're trying to find and isolate something called the God particle or the Higgs boson particle. If this exists, as we seem to be getting closer to understanding it does, what would that do? What would that mean? It may mean we get able to un we'd be able to unlock limitless energy. Let me just put it that way. It may be that we would understand the next secret of the universe. Now, let me just say that this stuff is very complicated. And, of course, I don't have advanced degrees in science, so I could not speak about the very particulars of all this. But... I wanted to give it to you this way. Anytime you see somebody saying that they're practicing quantum physics, they're actually practicing the Kabbalah, which is a form of Jewish witchcraft. First made the correlations between Kabbalah and science, I was stunned. I couldn't believe that the Kabbalists could derive these truths without really knowing any mathematics or physics. They knew things about the universe that took us till now to discover. We do know that Isaac Newton had access to certain mystical texts, certain texts of the Kabbalah, all the things that could destroy string theory, all the things that do destroy every rival theory to string theory, they are all eliminated in precisely 10 and 26 dimensions. These dimensions are magic. We physicists don't know where these dimensions come from. It's rather amazing. This uncanny reflection of some of the most advanced cosmology coming from our satellites, coming from our atom smashers, coming from our blackboards that are mirrored in the Zohar and ancient Kabbalistic texts. So just like the alchemists were doing procedures where they were trying to isolate energy force from elements, that's exactly what they're doing at CERN. It's just with more modern technology and a lot more of a budget behind it. That's the only difference. This is the video where I get into the essence of CERN. It's the most advanced and expensive scientific lab on Earth, and it's used to study particles. It's the most fundamental question. It's the one we all asked when we were kids. What are we all made up of? What are the fundamental particles that make up everything in the universe? Particles are like little hills in the quantum fields. They're actually vibrations in the field, which kind of start to make it clear on how a particle can act like a wave. Another thing that they're trying to explore today in science is something called black matter. 
Another word for it is dark matter. And basically what they say is that dark matter is basically called dark because it doesn't appear to interact with any electromagnetic field. And the reason that a lot of people surmise that it is difficult to detect is that because it really is a spiritual thing in nature. This is a spiritual force that they're calling black matter or dark matter. Another example of this is something called organ energy which in the 1930s, there was a man named Wilhelm Reich. And Wilhelm Reich discovered that organ energy was basically a massless, omnipresent substance that was very similar to the ether that the alchemicalists talked about. He actually called it the luminiferous ether. And he claimed this existed in people, but it was called organ energy. And Reich actually argued that the reason people get cancer is because their organ energy is basically out of balance or they're lacking it. And in 1942, he created the Oregon Institute. One of the inventions that he created was called an Oregon Energy Accumulator, which he believed he could basically like just absorb Oregon energy out of the air and put it into some sort of charger or something and actually give that to people somehow inject that into people's bodies and it will cure their health. Now, Reich actually based his research off of Freud's research, which Freud actually called this, instead of calling it organ, he called it the human libido, which was Freud's example of an ether energy, a spirit energy, a life force energy. And Freud, of course, called it the libido, and Reich took that and called it organ energy. And he claimed that he could actually measure it. Now, where Reich and Freud actually got in trouble with the Western world during their time was that they actually equated this energy with a sexual energy in the human body. Reich developed what he called a science of organomics based on the positing of a fundamental sexual life energy animating the whole universe, which he called orgone energy. They actually were doing sexual acts in order to measure the increase of organ energy in the human body. And of course, that didn't go over very well. That actually became a big scandal in their lives. And ultimately, the Western world rejected what they were saying at the time. And I really think probably the most famous example of somebody looking into this energy force was a man named Nikola Tesla. And of course, Nikola Tesla was a Serbian-American inventor, and he actually was well-known for working with Edison. He invented the AC-DC current, and actually the list goes on and on of the things that Nikola Tesla invented. It's actually quite prolific what he contributed to modern inventions and modern science. But Nikola Tesla was obsessed with something called free energy. He believed that the, you could create devices that would actually absorb energy right out of the air, much like Wilhelm Reich did, and you could actually use that to power light bulbs or other devices. That was the man's life work. Well, the dirty secret about Nikola Tesla is that Nikola Tesla was not a scientist. Nikola Tesla was actually an occultist. And this free energy that he was trying to use was actually the spirit energy that the Bible actually talks about. I mean, the man was into geometria, where he talked about three, six, and nine were the secret to understanding the universe. Now, Tesla actually was raised an Orthodox Christian, but 
obviously he renounced his faith. And later on in life, he actually became a big proponent for eugenics. And then also he was a big part of gender equality, basically feminism. And he actually was quoted as saying that the future would be run by women, and he called them queen bees. Tesla actually died when he was 86 years old, which means he died in the 1940s, sometime around the time of World War II. And he actually claimed towards the end of his life that he actually invented a particle beam weapon known as the death ray, which operated off of frequency and vibration. And it is a documented fact that around the time of his death, that the government actually swooped in and took all of his research by force and to this day, nobody knows where that research is. It's one of the things that is actually lost to history. people will say, well, what was Tesla into? Nobody really knows the specifics, but I think it's safe to say at this point that Tesla had probably broken into the third realm to some degree and was using metaphysical or occultic powers to manipulate the modern world. And it's because Tesla, although he was given credit as being a scientist, Tesla actually was an occultist. So let's jump over to the modern New Age movement and like the modern occults and stuff like that. Well, what names do they give this spirit energy force that we've been talking about? Well, one of the things that they call it is the quintessence. Now, when I was growing up as a kid, really my whole life, I've heard the phrase quintessential, using something to describe something of high value. This is the quintessential whatever. That is actually a derivative of the word quintessence. And of course, quintessence is basically the same thing as the E. It is the fifth element energy force that fills the universe and it even goes beyond the terrestrial sphere that we live in. In our study of the elements of creation, there are five elements in the traditional Western esoteric traditions and alchemical traditions, earth, air, fire, water, and ether, or quintessence. And I always sort of struggled with quintessence or ether. Like what? does that even mean? And that sense of like purpose, I know why I'm here. I know what I love. I'm, I'm excited about doing what I love. That is quintessence. That is the ether. That is the spiritual stuff that we are incarnating here. The, the quintessence, the ether is living within all of the elements, but that sense of like, I know who I am beyond this body. I know what I'm here to do. Um, I feel on purpose. That is, that's the medicine of quintessence and the, the work of ether. Another word that we see today in the modern new age is the word magic. Oh, ho, ho, it's magic. 
But when you see people casting spells or light coming out of their hands or affecting other people's minds or a sorcerer using a staff and pointing that staff at something and, and energy comes out of that, basically what you're seeing is magic. And magic is the controlling and invoking and using of a spiritual force for whatever desired effect that you would like. That ultimately is what magic is. Now, of course, also the New Age people are going to talk about positive vibes because, you know, when they when they say we're sending positive vibes your way or stay positive or peace and love, what they're doing is they're actually uh, speaking about the fruits of this spirit energy. Matter of fact, I even remember the Beach Boys singing a song called Good Vibrations, which ultimately that song is about the energy force that we're speaking about that makes you feel good. And to a lot of people, this energy force is like a drug to these people. I mean, they love it. They get excited. It gives them a euphoria and they absolutely have to have this. That's because that's what sin does to you. It becomes addictive. Of course, also we see in modern cultural examples the idea of good luck, which a lot of people believe that good luck is an impersonal force in the universe. And I find it funny that when Third Adam 3, we talked about the clover being a symbol of the divine feminine. It's a symbol, really, of, of two dualities. And actually, they're heart symbols, which is also another symbol of the divine feminine. The same symbol for good luck, being the four-leaf clover, is also the same symbol for the divine feminine, a spirit force that works in people, that pulls them away from truth. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. Another word for this is called the pneuma, which is actually a Greek word for spirit. And it really, when they speak in philosophy about the pneuma, they're not speaking about the Holy Spirit of God. They're speaking about something else, which that's what this is. They're speaking about this divine energy force. And another word that I see going out there right now is the word aura. Like you have such a beautiful aura about you. And even in modern anime, you see people with energy force about them. In Dragon Ball Z, you see this all the time. Like Goku will go Super Saiyan and then there's this energy force all about him. Well, what do you think that is? That's Eastern mystical people, Eastern-minded people who are not Christians, writing about a spirit energy that you can attain and absorb and use for a desired effect. Ultimately, what you're seeing is magic. Ultimately, what you're seeing in these movies is the occult. Another area in which I see this all the time is in modern entertainment, especially in the science fiction world. I grew up watching all kinds of stuff. I grew up watching X-Men and Star Wars and Star Trek and all that stuff, and, and I'm imagining that you did too. Well, you have to ask yourself the question, like when Darth Vader reaches across with his hand and he chokes a guy without actually touching him, well, the series teaches that he's using something called the Force. Well, what do you think the Force is? And do you really think that that is not based in reality? You know that there are people who can actually do that. There are people that are buried in this world of Hinduism who claims that they could have done that. And I believe that they could have. I mean, we have videos of people that are lighting newspapers on fire without even touching them by using a chi energy force.
That's what George Lucas based the entire franchise off of. He based it off of Eastern mysticism. Ultimately, if you boil it down enough, ultimately Star Wars is just Hinduism with a Western science fiction slant put on top of it and a bunch of cool armor plates and lightsabers. That's basically what it is. It's Hinduism. This energy that Yoda and Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, Darth Maul, and you name all these people, this energy force that they are using, what is that? Well, I know what it is. And then also you look in things like the X-Men series and the Avengers series. You see that these people have amazing powers. They have energy coming out of their body. For example, Cyclops has the ability to shoot laser beams out of his eye. And there's others who can heal themselves and people who can fly. You have Jean Grey who has the ability to read minds. Well, where do you think they got all that? They didn't get it from the Bible, that's for sure. Well, that only leaves one other place. They got it from mystery religion. And ultimately, one of the things about mystery religion that just blows my mind over and over again is that these people actually hide right out in plain view. They pretend like they're entertainers, but ultimately they're practicing a mystery religion right in front of your face. And, and what I'm noticing is almost all science fiction is basically blurring the line between metaphysical and physical. It's almost in a sense like they're breaking into the third realm using technologies that don't make any sense and harnessing a spirit energy forces and things of that nature. That is the occult, and we have to be on guard about that. Now, there have been many examples, and the list is, you know, infinite. I mean, there's no way I could give you every example of people who are using this occult energy force in the world. But there have been people throughout history who have practiced this energy force, practiced magic, practice the occult while claiming to be Christians. I really don't think that people get this. There are people in this world who literally are practicing magic. They are practicing esotericism and occultism and new ageism in the name of Jesus Christ and nobody seems to tell the difference. It's like nobody sees it. Well, let me give you a few examples of people that are actually doing this. The first example, and I've seen this in movies all of my life, there, there are people who actually believe that this exists, but something called the Holy Grail. Now, of course, that kind of fits under the umbrella of Catholic mysticism, which Roman Catholicism is a mystery cult. Make no mistake about it. Roman Catholicism is a part of the mysteries of Babylon. This holy grail was a cup that if you drank from it, it gave you all the benefits that the ether energy does. It makes you young. It, it gives you eternal life. It cures you of all sickness. That's what the Holy Grail is. Now, of course, there's been a lot of debate over this, whether this thing really even existed. Suffice it to say, the Spaniards went to Florida looking for the Fountain of Youth, which is the exact same thing as the Holy Grail. It was a cup. When you drank from it, all of your diseases were gone. You were young and you lived forever. That is the lie that the occult gives you. New Age people believe that if they harness their energy force, then all their health problems will be fixed. And you can be young and youthful forever. And these people who claim to be Christians were practicing this for a very long time. Now, also, there was something called the Black Madonna. And there have been people who have surmised for decades centuries really over what the mystery of the black madonna is i think i know you see basically there were a bunch of knights templars who were going down to the middle east to fight the crusades now these 
Knights Templars were practitioners of magic. They believed by doing the meditations and the rituals and saying the prayers, which they're not really prayers, they're spells is what they are. All, all these Catholic prayers that you read are it's just witchcraft pretending to be Christianity. And so they practice all these spells and they did all these meditations and they operate under this frequency. And so you can think of them as warrior magicians or warrior sorcerers. These people were practicing the occult to get spirit power so that they could win their wars and conquer Jerusalem. The Knights Templars were not Christians. These people were basically X-Men, or to put it another way, were striving to be X-Men, elite warriors with magical powers. That's the secret of the Knights Templar. And so they went down to the Middle East and they started to war against the Salahadin and the Middle Easterners. And after a while, they started to intermingle with them and they started to basically live alongside Islamic mystics. Well, they started bringing back these, sometimes these statues or these paintings of a Mother Mary holding a Christ child. And the skin of the Christ child and Mother Mary, or the Madonna as they called it, was completely black. Many people revere these paintings and these statues today as some sort of figures of racial equality, but the black skin on the black Madonna had absolutely zero to do with race. Absolutely zero. Now let me explain it to you from a Kabbalistic or occultic perspective. So if you go all the way back to, to the creation, you'll see that there was nothing. There was darkness. And that God said, let there be light, and there was light. Well, in a mystical mindset, from somebody who either practices the Kabbalah or mystery religion or the occult, they believe that the reason that the light exists is because it was born out of darkness. They ultimately do not worship light or believe that light has any virtue. They believe that all the virtue and all the merit belongs to the darkness from which the light was born out of. They believe that the darkness was the ether, that the darkness was the quintessence, and that out of that energy force, the light came. So ultimately, if you could control this darkness, you could create light. Now, of course, that sounds maybe a little cryptic or maybe a little bit vague, but that's how this is communicated to people. A good way to look at this is actually to look at the word darkness in your Bible. The Bible says in Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. The phrase darkness to light, the darkness here, according to the Bible, is the power of Satan. So these people literally believe that there is a power in darkness. And if we can control this power, then there's nothing that we can't do. Another verse that I've used many times in my ministry is Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It is the controlling and the using of this darkness. And in some ways, they call darkness light, which there were people actually in Nazi Germany that were a member of the Order of the Black Sun because they believed that there was a dark light that could be used to bring power to a nation.
And there are many other verses as well. 2 Corinthians 6, 14, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? It even says there in Ephesians 5, 8, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light, and the Lord walk as children of light. Ephesians 5, 11, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Ephesians 6, 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is the darkness of this world. And if you understand the very essence of magic, it is dark. It is the darkness from which light is born out of. And the mystery of the Black Madonna is very simple. What you have is a woman who is so filled, in a sense that the Christian can be filled with the Holy Spirit. This woman is so filled with this false spirit, this ether, this quintessence, that she actually had her skin change color. And the Christ child that she carries is so filled with this esoteric power that even he is turned black as well. This has nothing to do with race. It has zero to do with race. This has everything to do with occult energy power flowing through her body. And there are actually many other examples of this. One of them in Hindu mythology is Kali. She becomes so enraged and so filled with spirit power that her skin turns black and she actually goes on the war path. The feminist crowd actually holds Kali up as some sort of hero. But why did her skin turn black? because she was filled with occult energy. That is the mystery of the Black Madonna for you. Now, let's go into more of what we would call mainstream Christianity for a moment. There are men out there who are a part of the New Apostolic Reformation and the Charismatic Movement who speak of a spirit energy that's working inside of them. They actually refer to it not as ether, not as quintessence, not as Reiki, uh, not as the prime matter. They actually called this spirit energy faith. And in Kenneth Copeland's case, he actually refers to this energy as a faith force that he uses. Preachers bragging on God created this universe out of nothing. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He created it out of something you can't see. My faith is in my spirit. It's a spiritual force. Believing what the word of God says, put into my spirit and believe it and then say it with my mouth, it'll come to pass. Faith is a spiritual force. It is the creative force of the Almighty God. Faith is something God gives you that you need to use and release in your life. It's a powerful force. 
No, God is energy. God is spirit. God is a molecular structure that fills all in all. Same thing with, you know, being slain in the spirits or feeling that physical force field. I mean, I've, I've certainly had it when somebody was laying hands on me. You know, I just felt, you know, this enormous kind of pressure, you know, uh, you know, down on me. And, and uh, uh, definitely, you know, it, it had its physical manifestation, but uh, it's working through your body, through your physical body. But really, it's a spiritual power. And it has all the same characteristics of magic. It's impersonal. It can be called forth and it can be used to bring forth some desired effect. Just whatever you want. You want health. You want wealth. You want fame. This can do it. It'll bring it to you. All you have to do is harness it and use it. Another term that I'm seeing being used in modern day Christianity and the main man who is using this term is Tony Evans, the father of Priscilla Shire. It is called the kingdom agenda. connected to our creator there's a divine power that breathes within it renews and restores creating an atmosphere that revives and makes hope we align ourselves underneath him there is an alignment that happens from deep within where his breath becomes our very own transforming the atmosphere of our lives i call this the kingdom agenda where through him we're touching heaven and changing earth if you use music and you speak about Jesus, then a spirit energy moves and it is called the kingdom agenda, which is not an orthodox way of explaining the Holy Spirit. I mean, it is really problematic how he puts it, but he says this all the time. The kingdom agenda is moving in churches, in people, and the way he describes it is identical. It is identical to the ether and the quintessence. Tony Evans is not squared away in Bible doctrine at all. And lastly, the one that I hear that if you hear anybody say this, you need to run for your life is something called the Christ consciousness or the universal Christ. Recently, there's been a lot of guys who have come out saying they're deconstructing their faith and that they don't really follow traditionally the, the Jesus Christ of the Bible, but now they're following the Christ consciousness, which is the same thing that the Hindus say about Jesus Christ. You see, the Hindus believe that there were these 
people called Maitreyas. And you can think of a Maitreya as a high sorcerer or a high wizard of some sort, but they basically are people who have so mastered the energy and the powers of the universe inside of them that they could do miracles, like they could heal or they could walk on water. They lived forever. They could fly. Nothing inside of their body was ever sick. They are given the title by the Eastern world of Maitreya, and they believe that the first Maitreya was Jesus Christ. They believe that the second Maitreya was the Buddha, and they're actually waiting for a third Maitreya to come, which we know who that is. That's going to be the Antichrist in this documentary series. We've given him the name the Third Adam. But this Maitreya will be able to have such power. He will be able to do signs and lying wonders because he will be a master of magic and a master of occultism and a master of all of this energy power. And he will show you how to do all this as well. He will be an antichrist. But the people who are worshiping the Christ consciousness are really practicing Eastern mysticism, Eastern occultism, Hindu religion. But they're putting that Christ consciousness spin on it to make it more palatable to their Western audiences. But make no mistake, these people are practicing magic, and they're doing it in Jesus' name. So when it comes to this spirit energy force that has many names, the concept is basically the same. You breathe this power in and you use it to accomplish your goals. Acquiring this spirit energy makes you a better person and makes you more capable and gives you all types of strength, whether it be physical or spiritual. And I want to point you to a couple cultural examples of this, one of them being this guy named Jake Paul. He started a boxing career, and I made a couple of videos about this, but I want to point this out as well, where he was doing this bizarre ritual at the beginning of all his fights. And I want to show you a video of what he's doing. It's a bizarre breathing ritual. It's very extreme, but what he's doing is breathing in real deep, and breathing out and screaming, of course, when he does that. And this is called breath work, which is a very common practice in Eastern meditation and Eastern mysticism. What he believes he's doing, he's breathing in life energy. And this is somehow empowering him as he goes into his boxing matches. This is actually a practice called pranayama, and where these people get together and they will 
do breathing exercises. And I want you to watch just a segment of this video with me. Your prana means a vital force, a universal force, which is essential to be alive. And yama can be controlled. This prana is existing everywhere. And it's also existing inside the body. It really helps calm my state of mind because it creates a focus on me and my internal world to process my emotions, I guess. It just creates that space if I'm in a stressful situation and I need to just do some simple inhalations and exhalation. Even when we breathe just day to day without even thinking about it, it's the quality of breath that really helps to, to settle me. If you practice pranayama, there are a lot of changes will come. Mainly you may get energy good energy will come and uh, your mental clarity may increase and your intellectual uh, intellect will become more sharper and your emotions will be balanced. Now I want you to see what Stephen Furtick teaches in this video. He teaches a prayer practice that he does where he breathes in the Holy Spirit. Stephen Furtick is basically going to teach the exact same concept as pranayama but instead of calling this prana, this life force, He's going to call it the Holy Spirit. Why? It's because Stephen Furtick is not a Christian. Stephen Furtick is an Eastern mystic. I want you to see what he has to say in this video. Today, I just want to share a prayer that I've been praying. I have moments, like I'm sure you do, where I feel overwhelmed with a lot of little things. Sometimes it's just when I find myself getting to that place, there's a prayer and an action that I started taking. And it starts like this. I breathe you in, Holy Spirit. I breathe you in, Holy Spirit. And strength comes suddenly. I breathe you in, Holy Spirit. And your strength comes suddenly. And your peace fills me completely. I breathe you in, Holy Spirit. And strength comes suddenly. And your peace fills me completely. Guys, that's not in the Bible. That's an Eastern mystic practice. Stephen Furtick is an occultist. This man does not believe the Bible. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. You don't breathe in the Holy Spirit like he's some sort of vape machine or something. You don't breathe in the Holy Spirit like he's prana or he's chi. Stephen Furtick is dreadfully in terrible doctrinal error here. I am literally just blown away that people don't see the problem with this guy. So what Jake Paul is doing with breathwork and what the Eastern mystics are doing with pranayama, Stephen Furtick is doing the exact same thing. He's just calling it the Holy Spirit. I really don't know what else to tell you. This man is bad news. So we understand that there are two spirits working in the world today. There's the Holy Spirit of God 
and then there is a false spirit that's working. Both of these spirits are very real. Both of these spirits are working even now. And both of these spirits have fruit. And the working of both of these spirits is evidenced in the lives of people. And I want to break down for you the difference between these two spirits. So we have the false spirit, and then we have the Holy Spirit. Now this is the Holy Spirit of God that we find in our Bibles, and this is the false spirit that we have been speaking about in this documentary. Well, what is the difference between the two? Well, number one, I want you to notice that this false spirit will always, always be, be emphasizing and based on positivity. This spirit will never say anything negative about people or about social issues or about anything. One of the main characteristics of this spirit is its overwhelming positivity. God has a purpose for you. If, if you were done, listen to this, if you were done, God is, is detailed. He's an exact God. He would have taken you on. But as long as you have breath, somebody needs what you have. Somebody needs your gifts. Somebody needs your talent. Write that somebody down. needs your smile. Minds are being changed all the time. From thinking this way negatively to thinking positively. From depression to having a positive expectation of good. Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale and The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz. You can coat your mind from negativity. It's a real simple exercise to do. I do it every morning before I walk out the door. So I walk out as a positive person. But to coat your mind from negativity, the way you can put a coating around your mind is with one simple thing, gratitude. God accepts and approves you right where you are. Faults and all, mistakes, shortcomings, not when you overcome, but right now. Positive thinking works wonders. And it does, too. And Mafu uh, appeared to my husband and myself in our bedroom. The bed levitated. Uh, the entity appeared. This entity literally appeared to us. When you see a UFO or something, mm -hmm. that kind of energy was around us. And when we turned around, he was standing there, and he started talking to us and asked us if he could speak to us. Went in and sat down, and he started telling us that, unbeknownst to me, we weren't judged by God, that God actually loved us, and we weren't going to go to hell. We were going to have an opportunity to, to live in the love of God rather than die in the fear of him. It's always smiling, it's always happy, and that's one of the attractive aspects of it. And really, I think that's why a lot of people kind of go into the false Holy Spirit working, because they love the promise of positivity. Now, there's a funny story that I saw over in 2 Chronicles chapter number 18, where Ahab and Jehoshaphat uh, got together and they made an alliance as kings of Israel, and they wanted to go up to battle, and they wanted to ask if there were some prophets who could kind of inquire of the Lord for them and see if they should go forth into this battle. Well, the Bible says, 2 Chronicles 18.5, Therefore the king of Israel gathered together the prophets, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hands. And so you find 400 of these prophets who are operating under the power 
of this false spirit in the Bible are saying to Ahab and to Jehoshaphat, go up, God will deliver it into your hand. And they gave an overwhelming, positive, good report to the kings. But the funny thing is, is that Jehoshaphat kind of caught on and said, something's not right here. These guys seem like they're just yes men. Uh, isn't there somebody else? Well, Ahab knew that there was one guy, and he was a true prophet. His name was Micaiah. Now, Ahab said, I literally hate this guy. I hate him because he's always saying something negative against me. And so they call Micaiah, bring him forth to the kings. And basically, Micaiah stands before Ahab and Jehoshaphat and says, you know, all those guys just lied to you. You're, if you go to battle, you're going to die. He shows them what he sees. He saw that before the throne room of God, that something happened. And he tells them what it was in 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 20. He says, Then there came out a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, Thou shalt entice him, and thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. And so you find that this lying spirit that stood before the Lord, which is the false spirit we're speaking about here, stood before King Ahab and Jehoshaphat and told them, hey, everything's going to be great. Everything's groovy. Everything's wonderful. Go out and win your battle, which is exactly the message that most modern preachers give you. It's the same thing. And it's all based on positivity. Hussein Osteen sometimes sounds less like a preacher and more like a motivational speaker. Do you feel like you're cheating people by not telling them about the hell part? The no, but, part? No, I really don't because it's a different approach. It's not hellfire and brimstone. Most people are beaten down enough by life. There was another instance in the book of Isaiah where people were practicing mystery religion, but they were under the influence of this false spirit. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 30, verse 10, uh, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. You see that when people get under the influence of this, positivity becomes the main thing that they're after. They don't care about what's right. They just care about what makes them feel good. Whereas the Holy Spirit operates in a completely different manner. You see, the Holy Spirit's not really worried about what's positive. The Holy Spirit is worried about what's true. You see, towards the end of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, he told his disciples that he was going to go be crucified. Uh, but don't fret, don't worry, because I will send the Comforter. Well, the Comforter is the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says in John chapter number 16, verse 13, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So you see here that there's a difference. One spirit's overwhelmingly positive, and the other spirit right here is worried about what's true. The thing about truth is that truth is not always positive. Sometimes it is, but not always whereas the false Holy Spirit is exclusively positive. We put in the beginning of our Third Adam 1 documentary about how the these people have thumper theology. If you don't have anything nice to say, then say nothing at all. Well, that, that, is, that is the theology of positivity, which is a theology of this false spirit that's working in the world today. Anytime a guy like me posts videos on YouTube saying something negative about a false teacher, it's almost like bombs over Berlin with judge knots coming from 
liberal evangelical people who could not tell you five verses in the Bible to save their life. To them, the worst thing you could ever do is say something negative about another Christian, another ministry. It's not of God. The next aspect of this false spirit working today is not only is positivity, but it makes you this. It makes you worldly. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. Ephesians 2, 2 says, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And so you'll see that this spirit will actually make you a part of this world system. It'll make you cool. It'll make you hip. And quite frankly, I'm convinced that all the movie stars and, and almost all the major musicians of today are so intoxicated and so filled with this false spirit that it literally controls their life. Many of the old rock stars and modern musicians today claim that they get their inspiration for their lyrics by communing with some spiritual force in their personal lives. And so this is no secret. This is not some conspiracy. This is this is a factual thing. The false spirit will make you in line with the trends of this world. I mean, that's just basic theology for you. But the true Holy Spirit of God won't make you worldly. The true Holy Spirit of God will make you this.
Won't make you worldly. It'll make you holy, though. To take a step towards God is to take a step away from this world. And holiness is always the mark of the working of the Holy Spirit. To say that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, but you do not live a holy life, is foolishness. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor. And verse number 7 says this, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. The Holy Spirit of God will always work holiness into the lives of the people that he works in. The next aspect of this false spirit that works in people's lives today is not only that it's positive and as worldly, but it also leads you into it leads you into theological error. Everybody who is indwelt with this false Holy Spirit is led always, 100% of the time, into theological error away from God and away from the Bible. In the book of Hosea, which is a fascinating book, I, I love that book, it talks about these people who are communing in mystery religion and the spirits working in their lives. And it says in there in Hosea chapter 4, verse 12, My people ask counsel at their stocks, and their staff declareth unto them, for the spirit of whoredoms hath caused them to err, and they have gone a-whoring from under their gods. So you see there's a different spirit working in these people. The Bible also says in Hosea chapter 5 verse 4, they will not frame